you know, some people there have said to me they wanted to kill me. They want, you know, like they get so upset. And I know it's never about me. It's not personal. One guy got so mad. He goes, I hate you being here. I hate your culture. Don't bring your culture here. And I said, culture of compassion or U.S. culture? He said, either one. I said, you're not getting either one. I'm not a typical American. And culture of compassion? That's going to come whether I'm here or not. That was humane educator and animal rights power host, Ray Sikora. This week's guest on episode 12 of the Plant Powered Activist podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to episode 12. Uh, hope you're all doing well. Got a awesome episode for you guys today. I'm very, very excited for this one. But um, first of all, for any new listeners out there, a uh, quick introduction. Um, I'm Darius. I am the host of this podcast, and the goal here is to basically um, help inspire a larger community of people who care, people who want to make a difference, um, you know, people who care about doing the right thing more than, more than simply being happy and having fun, you know, people who recognize that, that greater sense of purpose to, to be of service to the planet and to, um, all of our, all of our fellow beings. And, um, you know, I, I feel like there's so many people now who are, who are out there who want to do the right thing. They want to help the planet but they just don't know exactly where to start and it can i know that it can feel really uh really overwhelming to you know to know all this information and to and to feel like you can't make a difference and and so most of the time these people like they don't they don't do anything and so that's who this podcast is really for this is who i'm i'm trying to reach is is those people and and my goal is to be able to you know, to, to reach you guys and to help inspire you to, to do something, you know. And so I do this by basically talking to activists from a wide variety of backgrounds who have inspired me and then sharing those conversations with you. And plus, it just gives me a, an, an awesome opportunity to uh, talk to some really cool people. So my guest today is someone who I met out of... Um, it was really just a coincidence how I met her, really, is um, about two and a half years ago now, when I was still in college, in my last year of college, and I wanted to do something interesting for my reading week, um, just because it was my final year, so I decided to make a trip down to Florida and volunteer for a week at this um, primate sanctuary called Jungle Friends Primate Sanctuary. Awesome place, by the way. If you're ever in the uh, North Florida area, definitely check it out. And while I was there, I met um, the guest for today's show, who is Ray Sakura, and she was staying there as a uh, kind of long-term volunteer with her husband, Jim Corcoran, in a camper van. And honestly, like, from the, the day I met her, she's just like one of the loveliest people I've ever met, and... We became friends right away and have um, have kept in touch ever since. And what I didn't know at the time when I met Ray was 
how she's actually this huge powerhouse in the animal rights community. And she's really helped to kind of pave the way for a lot of the, um, a lot of the success in the, in the animal rights community. But she, you know, she's such a, such a humble person that you've probably, there's a good chance you probably never even heard about her before. So I'm going to have to, um, I'm going to have to like tell you a, a little bit about her before we get into this interview. So Ray Sakura has been a spokesperson for animals, the environment, and human rights for over 30 years. Her programs have been changing people's vision of what is possible to create in our lives and in the world. And so Ray has worked internationally with participants ranging from teachers, students, um, prisoners, to businesses and activists. And, um, you know, she's a co-founder of the Institute for Humane Education, Ray created interactive critical thinking tools that are now being used by people all around the all around the globe. She holds degrees in cultural anthropology and environmental education from the University of Wisconsin, and Ray draws from years of experience to help individuals and groups discover how implementing changes personally and locally can bring about positive change globally. She is also the co-founder and co-director of Plant Beast Daily and Veg Fund. So in this conversation, we talk about how she became vegan and how she became an animal rights activist growing up in a small town over 30 years ago. Um, we talk about how she became a humane educator before she even knew what a humane educator was. Um, we talk about compassion and what it really means to put compassion into practice because Ray is such a such a perfect example of of what it means to be a compassionate human being and and then we talk about um activist burnout and how to avoid falling into that pit of despair where you feel like everything is um everything is hopeless and and you just feel like you can't do enough no matter how much you do and um Ray's got a lot of good insight on on all of these topics so i definitely feel like i gained um like a lot of really valuable information from this hour that i spent talking with her and you know just her her approach and how she's able to remain so calm and and compassionate towards even like the nastiest people that she encounters and you know she she works with people in in the middle east and and everything who have very different viewpoints and and just how she's able to, you know, to 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 just, you know, listen to them and and try and learn from them and and just be this amazing example of what it means to be compassionate, while at the same time never compromising on the integrity of her message is just so inspiring. And I think we all have um, a lot that we can really learn from Ray. So, without further ado, I. Uh, I guess we'll just get into the conversation now, and I hope you enjoy. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited to um, finally connect with you again and um, and talk to you because you're someone who's... Um, you've been in this movement for like a long time, like before it was, before it was cool, right? I know I was so not cool. <laughs> I was just weird. 
So, um, yeah, I think it would be, uh, I'd love to start off by just like hearing from you, like what it is, what it's like, what it was like making that switch to veganism at that time and how it came about for you. Oh, you're going to laugh. Are you recording right now? Yeah, I started. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm wandering all over. Now no I'll settle down and be, I'll behave. Um, you know, when I first, like when I became vegetarian, not vegan, I had never heard the word vegetarian mm. even. It was in 1972. Okay. 71 or 72. Mm-hmm. And I was just a kid, you know, I was like 15 or something. Yeah. And it was just like a quirky thing. I walked into a leather shop with a friend and I was known as the animal person at the time in our community because I would rescue animals and people would be like, oh, they call me. Oh, there's a turtle in our driveway, a big snapping turtle. and We want to pull out of the driveway. Come get the turtle. So I was like known as the person who would deal with animals. Okay. was eating them. I never I never made connection and then this friend and I she wanted I had just eaten a hot dog like a regular like made out of cow yeah and she wanted to go into this leather shop after I had eaten this hot dog and she had eaten one too and we went into this leather shop and it just struck me because there were like skins hanging in there and I said to her ah don't buy anything in here it's dead animals and the woman behind the counter heard me And she said, do you eat meat? Simple little question that steered my life like whole new direction. Um, I said, you know, I thought about it for a second. And my first thought, you know, I was 15. I never connected it. My first thought in my head was, what does meat have to do with dead animals? Isn't that weird? Wow. The disconnect. So I turned to her and I said, no, I don't eat meat. And my friend looked at me. She had just seen me down the hot dog, you know. (laughs) Just like kind of looked at me like why are you lying to this woman? When we got out of the store, she said, why'd you lie to her? I said, I didn't lie to her. I, I will never eat meat again. You know, just that one little question. Isn't that wild? Like you can change people's life with one question. And then my parents thought I was insane. You know, I came home and I'm like, I'm not eating any animals. And they just said, yes, you are. I said, no, I'm not. And they, you know, it got to be so dramatic every time we went out to eat that I'd order a baked potato or whatever. That they finally, we didn't go out to eat together anymore. Oh, you know, no. we just, and that was fine. Mm-hmm. You know, they would go out to eat and I wouldn't go because it, it embarrassed them that I would just order a potato or whatever. And then when I was in college, I was renting this little cute log cabin from a dairy farmer. And he was on the same land with his family. And I heard this sound one day. And I never heard that sound. I got on my bike and I cruised over to his place. And he was pushing these calves, little male calves, some of them newly born, still wet, umbilical cord hanging. He He and this other guy were pushing them up on a truck, loading them up. And they were screaming like crazy for their moms. And then the sound that I heard all the way from my house was the mom's screaming for the babies and so I asked if I could go see him he said yeah and I said what are you doing you know where are these going he said oh it's the males and I said yeah where are they going and he said oh they're going to Menominee I said where in Menominee and he said to the veal I think he called it a veal farm 
but it wasn't any veal farm. You know, it was a factory, a veal factory. Mm-hmm. And so they were going to the veal facility, and I went around the barn, and the mom's mouths were like wide, wide open, screaming for their babies, pushing on the barbed wire. They were bleeding where the barbed wire was cutting into them. They were trying so hard to get to the babies. And I saw this horrific scene, and I thought, whoa, I support this. This is dairy. This is what dairy is. And when I asked him about it, he said, all of us do it. He said, we don't have a use for the males. You know, we use artificial insemination. You know Danny. Danny was a local artificial inseminator. And I said, I do know Danny. I just never thought about it all. And at that point, I stopped eating dairy, and I decided that I wouldn't eat any animal products unless I could visit the place Mm. and see what was going on and see the whole process. So from there, you know, like I visited egg facilities, supposedly small, humane, just like his. His farm was supposedly small, humane, organic, da-da-da-da, all those catchphrases that don't mean anything. Mm -hmm. And I started just visiting like crazy. And every place I visited, I thought no compassionate person would support this. No way. And so I just stopped supporting things that I didn't believe in. You know, I felt like if I support these with my dollars and my lifestyle choices, I'm asking these companies to continue doing whatever it is they're doing. You know, I keep voting for it. Oh, do it again. Do it again. I'm paying for it. And so I just stopped. And I I didn't know anyone else who was doing that. Hmm. Uh, I didn't know about ethical consumerism. I don't even know if it was a term then. And, yeah, it was just just became my life, you know, where I thought, oh, this is what I'm going to let people know the realities. So I started doing that a lot. Like I would just talk to people about it. People would ask me, why no eggs? Why no dairy? And you know how sometimes, like you've probably experienced this. Somebody will say, oh, why don't you eat eggs? You know, like they say that stuff, but they don't mean it. They don't really want to know. So when someone asks me that, I say, do you really want to know? If you really want to know, I would love to share what I know with you. If you're just saying it and you don't really want to know, then I don't need to share it. You know, and sometimes people say, no, I don't really want to know. Mm -hmm. But sometimes they do want to know. And then I just share the reality because I think there's just this disconnect. People don't know the reality of what it took to bring them their entertainment, their food, their clothing, all these different things. You know, their beauty products, their medicines, everything. If people could see the, I call it the true price. Oh, what's the true price to the environment, to animals, to other species, and to all humans, you know, like to everyone. If they could see the true price, like what's the real cost of this? Now, what does it cost in cash? Yeah. <laughs> well, what does it really cost? Because I would love to see that price tag on everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is how many trees, and this is how many what? kids are in slave labor. Yeah, wouldn't wouldn't that change things, eh? Oh my God! Well, you would hope, <laughs> you know, you would hope, but you've probably also met the people who find out the true price of something and say, mm-hmm. "Oh, but it tastes so good," or "or it looks so good," or whatever it is. You know, I just want to have it. They don't. It, you tell them the real cost of it, and for some people, it doesn't change their actions. But I think. For a lot of people, it would change it. Oh, know, yeah, sure, yeah. Educated about the realities. Yeah. And that just kind of became my life, you know, just doing humane education and started going into schools and doing these 
critical thinking programs to get kids to really think about what does your life on the planet mean for other life on the planet? And how do you expand that circle of compassion of yours to include all humans, all living beings, and the earth? You know, and it's such a, a powerful thing to do. And, you know, people sometimes they'll think of it as sacrifice, like, oh, I can't have that, I can't have that, mm-hmm. I can't have that. You know how people will think of it that way. Yeah, I mean, like before before you get brave enough to just finally go for it you you feel like before you're vegan you you feel like it it'll be a sacrifice and yeah and that's part of the the struggle but then as soon as you do it you just realize how much more abundant it is so exactly and you know like that you know this feeling when your values are lined up with your choices and you can feel good Mm -hmm. about what you're supporting each day that it lines up with your deepest core caring values Wow, it's not a sacrifice at all. No. Like, you know, there's nothing else. In, nothing you know, even it, close. <laughs> yeah, like it just feels good. It feels like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm on the planet to do, to line up my most loving values with my choices. You know, and sometimes people will be like, oh, you know, really this is a burden because now we're always witnessing, witnessing, witnessing. You can't go anywhere without witnessing either ads or direct animal abuse or whatever it is because it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so when people say, oh, this feels like a burden to me, you know, that now I see everything like that. I try to talk to him about it. Like, I don't think of it as a burden. I think of it as an honor. Like, you were chosen to have your eyes open. That's an honor. That's not a burden. That's just like, how incredible. Out of 7 billion people on the planet, you know, a very small percentage are making ethical vegan choices. It's growing. It's growing every day like crazy. But there's a very small percentage whose eyes and hearts and minds are wide open and you get to be one of them. Mm. Oh, that's incredible. In a way you were chosen. It's an honor. It's a privilege. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, I wish the people on your show could see you. Like I can see you because we're doing this on Skype. Mm -hmm. You look like this like poster child for (laughs) like health and beauty. Like people look at you and go, Oh, I want to do what he's doing. Well, that's good. <laughs> you eat really, really healthy, and do you get a lot of exercise? Uh, yeah, I get a fair bit, yeah. But you eat real healthy. Like, what you put in your mouth is healthy, isn't it? Oh, yeah, all whole foods and stuff, so. Yeah, you look great. <laughs> well, thank I you. I wish people could see you. Thank you. So, um, I'm curious to hear about um, how you kind of got into like going into schools and, and giving these presentations and stuff like, like how did it, how did it start for you? It was weird. Like as everything in my life, I go into it, not having a clue what I'm doing. Okay. And so, you know, once I learned about what was going on for other species, you know, I suddenly it was like, Whoa, I learned about animals and all these industries who were thought of as property. Mm-hmm. And I about animals who are considered companion animals, but people were breeding them like crazy, their products. And I thought, oh man, people need to know about this. I don't think young people know about this. And I was sure they didn't because I had been a young person who never heard any of this. And so I decided I wanted to start teaching kids in schools about it. Okay. And there's a process to doing that that I didn't know. You know, like, how do you get into schools? How do you contact them? I had no idea about it. 
So instead, I printed up a bunch of brochures. I started an organization, which was just me. I called it an organization called Bridges. Mm-hmm. And, and it had this really beautiful graphic on the pamphlet. And it said, building a bridge between humans and other species. And I had, I think, about six programs that I would offer that I could do in their schools. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know anybody in the schools. Nobody. So I took these brochures and I went to schools and I would go right to the teacher's lounge and talk to the teachers about it. Like, you know, sometimes people would be like, as I'm on my way out, they'd be like, oh, who are you? And I'd say who I was and they'd go, did you sign in at the office? Oh, no. Did you want me to sign in at the office? (laughs) I'd be like on my way out the door. You know, I mean, I know that groups will like do mailings, they mail stuff, but I didn't know that then. I didn't even know there was such a thing as humane education, nothing. And I got into a lot of schools, a lot. And I started taking time off all my sick days, all my vacation days for my regular job, which was producing this show for NPR. Mm. And then I also worked at the Science Museum of Minnesota, but all my sick days, all my vacation days, I'd go do these school programs. And finally, I thought, oh, I'm happier when I'm doing these things that I don't get paid for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's how it was. And then um, I had, I can't remember where the magazine came from, some animal group. Because then I started looking for animal groups. Okay. I was going through my mail. I read through this magazine, and I threw it in the recycling. And I looked down in the recycling, and on the back cover, it said Humane Education Conference. And I thought, I wonder what that is. I was doing it, but I didn't know what it was. Mm. And I pulled this out. It was at Harvard. And I looked at this and I thought, oh, I'm going to call them and see, like, if I can go to this thing. I'd never even been to the East Coast. You know, I was such a Midwestern girl. Mm-hmm. And I, I called up and I said, oh, I'd like to come to this Humane Education Conference of yours. And the, somehow the person asked me about myself and she said, well, you know, what's your interest in it? Are you a humane educator? I said, I don't know. I said, I do programs in schools. She said, that's a humane educator. <laughs> that's it. And she said, who's financially backing you? I said, nobody's financially backing me. She said, oh, would you like to present at the conference? Because everyone else who's presenting has a large organization supporting them. Mm. You're the only one doing it independently. We'd like to have someone present. I said, oh, I don't think so. You know, I'm not really, I don't like presenting to adults. You know, I'm too shy to do that. Mm. <laughs> and then I got there, and then they talked to me again. They said, we really want you to present. Put your brochures out. I put a bunch of them out for people to see what I was doing. We really want you to present. And then I did. I presented. I think I was just wearing, like, jeans and a sweater. Everybody was real fancy except for me. <laughs> and so I did this presentation. I said, I don't know how to present to adults. So I'm just going to treat you like a bunch of students. I'll do one of my programs for you. So I did this one that I had designed called Lifestyles of the Eco-Friendly. And we go through like a day in my life and everything I do. And they all come down and they act it out with me. And there's props and everything. So I kind of collected props for it. And people loved it. They just loved it. And then after I was done, all these people came down out of this big lecture hall. And they were handing me money. Wow. Check bills i had this huge wad of money and i was like why are you doing this you know why are you people giving me money it was crazy and they said we want you to keep doing what you're doing keep doing what you're doing it's amazing and i i was teary because i had never connected with other people who cared about the same things and yeah it was just fantastic and you know i went home 
feeling very good about doing the work. Plus, I had money to do it for quite a while because people had given me so much money. And then I got contacted by a couple of organizations who wanted me to do their humane ed programs on the East Coast. And I thought, hmm, okay, I guess I could do that, live on the East Coast. It scared the heck out of me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. So then I ended up um, in Philadelphia for working for American Anti-Vivisection, doing their education work, and worked with Zoe Weil. And I said, I can be here two years, but I'm not a city person. Two years, I'm going to leave. And they said, you're just going to leave in two years? I said, yeah, two years, I'll live in the city, and then that's it. And then in my, when the two years came up, I said, okay, we're coming up on two years, so I'll be leaving. And then Zoe and I decided we wanted to keep doing humane education together, so... You know, her husband was working as a veterinarian, and he got a job in Maine, and boom, you know, we started the Institute for Humane Education. So it just kind of grew and grew, and, you know, now it's, the Institute for Humane Education is doing great. It's still rolling, and, you know, I I do this a lot. Like, I'm like, oh, here's a good project. I put all my everything into it, get it really established. I'm like, good, it's on its feet. I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to establish something else. Mm. So it's doing really great. You know, and I left there and I kind of like working on my own, you know, doing activism on my own and mm-hmm. yeah, it feels good doing education work on my own. But that was all such a great start for me. But you see, none of it was planned. None of it. Like it was all by the seat of my pants. Just mostly what it was. I say by the seat of my pants, but mostly what it was, was really listening like, oh, this, this feels really right to me. So sometimes I've had people come up to me after I speak somewhere and say, oh, I want to do what you do. And I say, no, you don't want to do what I do. Do what you do. Like do whatever it is you do best. Do that. If you're a writer, if you're an artist, if you're whatever it is you're doing, you do that. Because we all have our different paths to get to whatever point we're at. I don't know what brought you to the point of doing what you do. I know it was listening to your heart. I know that much, and feeling like you make a difference in the world, you know, but other than that, you had your unique path, mm-hmm. everyone you came across, every book you read, everything, you know, it was your unique experience, you know, who your parents were, they gave you the confidence to be who you are and not have to fit in with, you know, 99% of the population, so we all have that, those paths. Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show like what what you can accomplish when you when you listen and when you when you follow your heart and everything, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like you it just kind of took over your life once you had this realization. You knew that you you had to, you know, spread it and and tell people about it and everything. Yeah, and and you know, I never. Maybe I was when I first learned about the issues. Maybe I was kind of pushy. But for the most part, I never was like, oh, you're a bad person. Mm. And I'm going to show you why you're bad. You know, I wasn't that kind of educator. I was more, look at this possibility. Mm -hmm. You know, look at who and what you care about deeply. And does it line up with your choices? Oh, it doesn't? Let me help you with that. Mm -hmm. Let me help you first clarify who and what you care about then let me help you line it up because this possibility is amazing of creating a loving community 
And anybody can do it. Anybody. You know, we have, we live in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And we have real, it's a real mixed population here. We have um, native people, people from Mexico, um, people who are old Spanish families who have been here forever. Then we got these um, artists, massage therapists, yoga people. And then we got wealthy people who are just trust funders who come here to like buy art and $3 million houses. So we're this whole mix, you know, and, and there aren't separate neighborhoods. We all live like next to each other. Mm. So it's, it gets very, very interesting. So we used to live just outside of town and we had these neighbors who had moved from Chihuahua, Mexico, lovely family. But what they grew up with was that animals, all animals, non-human animals are property, period. They're not part of the family, nothing like that. Mm. And so I, I never got angry at them. I understood. I understand, like, what their background is. So there was this dog who came in our dog door, older dog, lying down on our sofa, like, I'm here. Big guy. Like, I don't know. He must be 85 pounds. He's big. So he's lying on our sofa, and he, then he just stayed. He wouldn't leave. He had a big cut in the top of his head. I stitched it up, and he was like, thank you. You know, he didn't even budge. And he was with us for like a year. And then I see this little boy when I was out hiking with the dogs, and he goes, negro, negro. And I said, you know this dog? And he said, yeah, that's my dog. I said, your dog? Wait a minute. (laughs) This dog's been at our house for a year, like living. And he said, oh, yeah, we know, we know. And I said, you know? I said, well, don't you want him? No, we don't really like him. I said, really? I said, what don't you like? He always wants to be in the house. I said, yes, of course. This is a pack animal. If you have them outside alone, then that's like solitary confinement. That's punishment. So I said, okay, tell me where you live, da 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 He told me his dad's name was Omero. I go talk to his dad. He said, oh, he's chosen where he's happy. He's chosen where he's happy. You can have him. And I said, oh, well, really, you don't want him? No, we hate how he always wants to be in the house. He's just supposed to be for security, you know. I mean, now he's my barnacle. He's with me all the time. But while I'm talking to him, I look, and there's another huge, like, Burmese mountain dog tied up on about a four-foot rope with no shelter, nothing. And I said, who's that? And he said, oh, that's Yubi. I said, tell me about Yubi. Oh, Yubi's very dangerous. I said, I don't believe you. And I walked over to Yubi, and I was petting this dog who was thirsty, hungry for affection. And I'm rubbing Yubi, you know, and playing with Yubi. And this dog is so happy to just have some attention. And I, then I went over to Omero, the dad, and I said, hey, let's build that dog a dog house. That dog needs shelter. How old is that dog? Four years old. I said, been out there on the rope for four years? Yep. I said, okay, let's take Yubi off the rope. Let's build a dog house insulation from the heat from the snow whatever a place to rest and he said well why do you want to do that i said i love you his eyes this guy's eyes got so big he said you have a dog and i said yeah he said you're you're crazy ray and i said no i'm not crazy i can love everyone i said you know i can love my family i can love your family i can love my dogs i can love your dogs i can love the whole world that's it's limitless I said, your heart is that big too, Omero. He said, no, 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 my heart is not that big. I said, Omero, I know your heart is that big. Let's build this doghouse. 
And he said, I can build it. I said, I have tools, I have materials. He said, I'm a construction worker, I can build it. I said, okay, make sure it's up off the ground for when it gets really wet, you know, and insulated. You know, I just told him like important things and big enough that he can turn around and move to different areas. Okay, okay, Ray. And he did. He built it, took the dog off the rope. So I never said, oh, you're a bad person. Like, don't you think, like, people will rise to the level we expect of them? So I was always, with that whole family, I expected that they would live more and more in their big hearts. And they did. You know, like, I watched them change a lot over time. And I brought, like, um, one of those heated water bowls over. And I wrapped it. It was around Christmas time. So I wrapped it for Yubi. And the kids got all excited. Regalo, regalo. Like I had a gift for them, you know. And I said, oh, it's for Yubi. <laughs> and they said, for Yubi. I said, yeah. And we opened it up. And I told Omer, I said, I need an extension cord. Let's plug this in outside. And I put one of the kids in charge of it. I said, even though the water won't be ice, you have to clean it and put fresh water every day. And he said, okay. And he was like 12 years old. And he did wow. every day. Every day he did it. And the kids awareness changed you know they would come to our house and they'd tell me if they saw a dog or a horse or anybody in rough condition and they would tell me about it so their awareness like it's going to change with this next generation around the world you know I work in the Middle East a lot and I'm watching it change there and yeah just this idea that they're living beings and they're part of our community and our family is starting to grow so it's very very exciting to see that happening and it's not nearly fast enough of course but at least it's going the right direction that's a really beautiful story of, of just how much you were able to expand their awareness just by your simple perspective of like not blaming them not being angry at them but just you know raising them up and 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 inspiring them to think think more critically yeah, don't you think everybody has, like sometimes it's more buried than other times, But and maybe I'm naive, but I think that everyone has a compassionate heart. Mm -hmm. You know, we're born that way. Mm -hmm. And then things train us out of that compassionate heart, but I think we all have that. Yeah. You know, we all do. And, you know, I don't know if I ever told you about this. No, this probably happened after I got to be with you. Um this couple was coming out of man and woman. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I don't really see that here in Santa Fe. We don't see fur coats that much. That's more like an Aspen, Colorado thing. So <laughs> these people are coming out, and we're going in. And I said, oh, JC, I'll see you in there. I'm just going to talk to these folks for a few minutes. He goes, oh, no, 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 I'm going to wait out here. I want to see I don't know if it's part of his entertainment. So I got to this couple right when they got to their car, a little sports car with Florida license plate. It's, it was Save the Dolphins. It was those Save the Dolphin plates. Mm. And I was like, well, that's a good start. You know, they cared <laughs> yeah. hey, for these license plates. So I tapped on the window and the window came down and I said, hi. I said, are you from Florida or this is a rental car? No, we're from Florida. And I said, oh, that's so cool that you have the dolphin plates. So that tells me you're caring people, that you care about animals. Yes, we do. We are caring people. And I said, fantastic. I said, I love that you have those license plates. And 
because you're caring people, I want to invite you to do something. And I thought it was, I think that they thought it was going to be like a fun activity or something. (laughs) (laughs) I said, the next time you're at a computer, do a web search for the cruelty that goes into fur, the amount of violence that went into your fur coats. Because you're so caring, I don't think you would want to support it. So the next time you're at a computer, just research this. Because there's so much violence and suffering in those coats. And you don't want to support that because you're caring people. And the guy, his jaw just dropped. Huh? And he looked straight forward and he started putting the window up. <laughs> you know, the window started going. But the woman, she kind of turned and she looked me right in the eye. And she said, we will research it. We will. I said, I knew you would because you're caring people. And then the window went up and I went, I walked away because <laughs> he obviously didn't want to continue the conversation. But you know that thing of like, I want to speak to that part of them. That part of them, that I think, is in everyone. Sometimes it's just so buried, you know, and or cult, you know, the culture or wanting to be liked. That's what I think of like fur coats like that this big full-length fur coat, that's like they want the world to think they're somebody. That's why people do something like that. Oh, I'm somebody. I have this fur coat and I drive a sports car or whatever. And that to me just comes from insecurity and loneliness and not from like waking up and saying I'm going to be a horrible, violent person. Yeah, of course. You know, so I don't know. I like to speak to that part of people, the part that I know is in there somewhere, sometimes a little bit hidden, but I like to speak to that part that is their most compassionate heart, mm. the one they were born with. So um, ever since I met you, you've really, I don't know, you've really stood out to me as like um, a really strong example of like what it means to be a compassionate person. So I'd love to hear like, what compassion means to you. Mm. Oh, you know what I thought you were going to say? I, wanna all, I thought you were going to say, I want to hear all the ways you're not compassionate. <laughs> 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 um, you know, compassion to me means for the most part, like if you look at literally what that word means, it means to suffer with, mm. you know, which is really empathy or you know, being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes or paws or wings. Or, and in that, I think, takes practice to, to see it beyond, like, your own family, your own species. It takes practice and opening up. Now I can't see it any other way, of course, but I remember when I was more blind to it, you know, when I was first opening up to, wow, that's not just cows, That's a bunch of individuals who want to live their lives, you know, to see individuals instead of groups. You know, if we could do that, that kind of compassion, like if we could look at other humans as individuals, not their race, their religion, their gender, their sexual orientation. If we could see an individual who wants life, you know, who wants a free, full, happy life. This would be a different world, you know, if we could do that. So I feel like it's a practice. Like sometimes I won't even say I'm vegan. I say, oh, I'm practicing veganism because it's such a lifelong practice Mm. of being kind. There's some people that are really easy to be kind to, like you. Well, that's easy, you know, because I get you. You know, I totally get you. But 
then my best practice has been like, ah, put me face-to-face with a hunter, which has happened many times, or face-to-face with the head of the Shriners who brought the circus in. Boom. I just had that happen three weeks ago. Wow. Boom. The guy right in my face, you know, so angry. You know, he was two inches from my nose with his face, and they're screaming at me. Oh, this poor guy. You know, I didn't hate him. You know, my compassion for him was he's doing what he knows. And he sees me as a threat to what is the most familiar thing to him. So my job is to be as loving as possible to him while being honest and direct. I don't sugarcoat it for sure. Mm -hmm. But I don't make him into some evil being. So I think, you know, like if I think about compassion, it's like, Finding what we care about deeply. And if you ask people, oh, do you care about nonviolence? Yes. You know, most people are going to say that. 95% of the population is going to say, I'm a nonviolent person. I'm an animal lover. I support life. So then I feel like, oh, the most compassionate thing I can do is help people clarify who and what they care about and then help them line it up with their choices. So that, for me, that's what it looks like. It's a practice in my own life, you know, to line up my deepest core values with my choices and to help other people do that. And I just don't think, you know, it's it's so easy to sort of judge others. Oh, I'm more compassionate than that person, and that person's just an ignorant, idiot, violent guy, da-da-da, whatever. It's very easy to judge. So I really invite people to not take that easy route and to find compassion for our best teachers who are the people who aren't on the same page you find compassion for them you got it you know and it feels so great you know and when i work in the middle east i've come across some really interesting challenges to that of course you know like, imagine, yeah. oh my god because they are women children animals in the areas where i work they're considered property and you can't tell someone what to do with their property you know, it's like, hey, this is my property. So I had like this very well-educated principal of a school. We were going to have five days together in this training I was doing for principals and teachers in compassionate living, in this whole compassionate living curriculum. And this very distinguished-looking teacher, no, he was a principal. He stood up. We were just in the room like, I think, five minutes. And it's everything simultaneously translated. So we have headphones, phone, and, and he shout something at me and then it gets translated by the translator. She said, he said he owns his wife, he owns his children, he owns his animals and you cannot tell him how to treat them. And here we're just starting. So I said, Oh, what's your name? We don't know each other. What's your name? He says his name. I think it was Hasim. I think it was Hasim. Oh, my name's Hasim. I said, it's good to meet you, Hasim. I said, will you do me a favor and hold that? own your wife, you own your children, you own your animals, and let's revisit it on the last day. And for now, you what's my job? He was so mad at me already, he didn't even know me. What's my job? I said, your job is to keep your mind open and your heart open for five days. That's, that's it. I don't know how to do that. I said, well, then all I ask is that you give it your best effort. That's all, for five days, and then let's go back to this on the last day. And talk about that. And he said, okay, okay. You know, and then he sat down and and we did go back to it. And he did have different feelings about it. 
And he asked me, do you hate me and my culture and who I am? I said, no. I said, why would I hate you? He said, because I'm so different from you. And I said, no. I said, you know, I work with a lot of kids here. So I have seen you as a little boy. And when you were a little boy, when you were five or six, you were taught that the more violent you were toward the animals, the more mean-spirited you were toward the women in the family, the better you were. You got a pat on the back for that. Good boy. You know, they're part of this uh, week of ritual slaughter. They start them at five and six years old. The more goats you can just slice their necks and kill them, good boy, now you're a man. So I just told him, I said, I know what you grew up with. So you got a lot of affirmative adult attention from doing those things. You're not a bad person. You were trained very well to be who you are now. And now, as an adult, you get to question those things and see, does it still fit your values? This is not about hating you. It's not about hating your culture. It's not about any of that. It's about all of us being adults and saying, oh, I don't need anyone's approval. Uh, what I need to do is act on really what I know in my heart. What do I know to be really accurate? Not cultural stories or myths. What's the truth here? So you get to dig now. Go to the truth and then act on it. You know, and, and he and I had a really nice relationship. We got along great, you know, but... You know, some people there have said to me they wanted to kill me. They want, you know, like they get so upset. And I know it's never about me. It's not personal. One guy got so mad. He goes, I hate you being here. I hate your culture. Don't bring your culture here. And I said, culture of compassion or U.S. culture? He said, either one. I said, you're not getting either one. I'm not a typical American. And culture of compassion, that's going to come whether I'm here or not. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I said, you know, what upsets you about what I bring he said, ever since you've been coming here, the female teachers in our school think they should have a voice in our meetings, and my wife thinks she should go to university. And I said, well, you know that sounds good to me. <laughs> and I just kind of laughed about it. I said, you know, don't be angry. I said, you know, this is the way things are going, so let's work with it, see how you're going to respond when it does come, because that's the way we're going. You know, and the kids are learning it. They're learning on social media and television, oh, animals aren't things. You know, they see people with, like, dogs in the house and everything else they see. So it's really changing. And, yeah, I feel like compassion is just, we're all just a bunch of struggling humans. We're the most confused species on the planet. And how do we find compassion for each other? We just help each other. And the more we stay open to kind of helping each other live well on the planet, I feel like the more compassionate we raise everybody's compassion when we stay open to each other. You know, I don't have all the answers on how to be compassionate, but I love when somebody gives me new ideas for how I could be more compassionate. So we have to stay open. That was a very long answer to that question. <laughs> yeah, but it was a uh, it was such a beautiful answer like that. That's you just said you touched on so many really interesting things there so thank you i mean it's like yeah it's, it's just so easy to forget about you know having compassion towards our our fellow beings like you said it's, it's so easy to to just judge them as as being these evil people and everything 
Yeah. But really we're just, we're not helping or we're, we're not helping ourselves and we're not helping any, anybody. We're not helping the animals by doing that at all. So, you know, I think it's, um, I don't know. I just think about people trying to do their best and, you know, not having the information. It's very easy to judge people, to judge other people. I mean, I can judge other vegans, you know, we can judge like crazy. Oh, God knows we do enough of that. (laughs) (laughs) We sure do. But like, I don't know, you know, like I think about just these different situations. Like there's a tool that I use that's helped me so much. I know I didn't invent this tool, but no one taught it to me. I just started experimenting with, oh, what keeps people's hearts open? And so my tool that I use, and it feels really good to me, is that instead of wanting people to understand me, I try to understand them and their choices. Mm -hmm. So I ask a lot of questions. And that has been the most powerful tool for me in this work. Like JC and I were in this massage school. This is just a good example of it. Like, This woman came flying in. We were there to get massages because they're like discount massages at the school. And this woman comes flying in from the farmer's market in Santa Fe. And so she came in. She goes, whoa, I thought I missed my appointment. And she's sitting right next to me. And JC's on the other side of me. And I said, nope, you didn't miss it. She said, oh, it's so hard. You know, we're selling local stuff. And it's pricier. And it's a lot of work. And then she looked at me. She said, we're saving a heritage breed. And I said, you're saving a heritage breed? She said, yes, we're saving a heritage breed of cattle. I said, oh, so you're not killing them. Of course, I knew she was killing them. But I said, oh, so you're not killing them. She said, well, no, no, we're saving the breed. And I said, oh, you're saving the breed, not the individuals. Right, right. I said, oh, so you sell their meat. And she said, yeah, yeah. I said, so it's local. Yep, yep, it's local. I said, wow. I said, is it hard that you've raised them from babies and then you have to kill them because you probably have grown close with them? Is it difficult? And she said, well, we don't kill them. We send them to Colorado, 10-hour truck drive, Mm. and then the meat comes back. And I said, oh, is it still considered local? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I said, well, is that hard? You've raised them from babies, and now you're sending them off on this truck to this unknown place where they are terrified and they're going to be slaughtered. Is it hard? She said, well, we would never send Herbie. And I said, who's Herbie? Oh, Herbie was a 4-H project and everybody loves Herbie. I said, oh, I said, what makes Herbie different from all the ones that you send off? Is he special? And she said, well, he's Herbie. And I said, yeah, I got that. And what makes him special? compared to the others how is he different she was real quiet she said he's not really different than the others I said so they're all special and she said well yeah and she slowed way down and then I said so I'm going to ask you again is it difficult when you raise them from babies to send them off like that and she got real misty eyed like tears in her eyes and she said it is it is difficult and then I got called into my massage like that was it that was the end of our conversation and mm-hmm. she leaned over to JC he told me later and said is that your wife and he said yeah that's my wife and she said can I talk to her some more he said you can maybe you'll come out of your massage at the same time and then he got called into his mm-hmm. and then that was it 
you know, like that was like end of story. But sometimes we just get to plant some little seeds with people. Oh, I just dropped that seed in and maybe it wakes up a little part of her heart that she's closed down. You have to close your heart down to raise these beautiful little beings. Have you been around them? Have you been around cows? Oh, there's a picture of you with a cow. Yeah, yeah. Where did I see that? I saw a picture of you with a cow somewhere, maybe on here. But you know how they are oh, individuals? Yeah. Yeah, you fall absolutely. in God. You give them a hug, you rub their bellies, they respond like a giant dog, and that's it, you're in love. You know, so we know how it is, you get attached. Mm. You know these people get attached and then they have to shut down a part of their heart, like the teenagers who do it in the 4-H program here. Do you have 4-H in Canada? We do, yeah. Yeah, so it's the same. I've worked with those kids a lot, the Future Farmers of America kids and the 4-H kids, and that is psychologically grueling for them, you know, that they're taught, you know, be a good business person. You can't get attached to this animal. Yes, you raise them, and they just sob. It breaks their hearts. Mm. They have to care, 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 and then pretend they don't care. Boom, send them off as a product. It's very tough. Mm -hmm. You mentioned a little bit um, that you you see things changing. Um, and I'm curious to hear a little bit about what kind of ways you, you are, you're seeing change. It's so cool. Like, I can feel a tipping point. It's really close, I feel like, to this tipping point where other species will be considered part of our community. And when I talk to other like long-term activists, people who have been doing it for decades like me, everybody's feeling the tipping point coming. Mm. It's so exciting. And I see it all over. Like now there's nowhere you can go where they don't know the word vegan. Like mm. I can't find that place. Everybody knows that word. You can get food everywhere. It is amazing. You know, I was just in Boulder, Colorado, and at the Whole Foods there, they have a burger bar. It's all this Beyond Burger, mm -hmm. which is like, have you tried this thing? I haven't tried it yet. No, we don't okay, have it in Canada. So, Oh, it'll come. It's yeah. downright It's downright creepy. It's so yeah. real. And and those kinds of things, shift, shift, shift. Like, this is the biggest thing. It's the first thing you see when you come into the Whole Foods in Boulder. Wow. It's this enormous restaurant in the Whole Foods that is all plant-based, all-day plant-based vegan breakfast. You know, so I'm seeing these things shift a lot, mm. you know. And, and the numbers, like, I don't know all the people who have vegan blogs, vegan cookbooks. Vegan. I used to know everybody. I think I knew every vegan, of course, in the U.S., you know, all five of us or whatever. But <laughs> anybody, well, I can't keep up with any of it, you know. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, J.C. knows more about popular culture than I do. So we'll be watching a movie and he'll go, oh, she's vegan. You know, we'll be watching another one, oh, he's vegan. And I'm like, really? How do you know this? Like, and it, so, you know, like, I love the whole concept of the tipping point. Because it's not just fantasy. Mm -hmm. you know. If, have you ever read this book, The Tipping Point? I haven't it's read the book, no. Oh, it's great. You don't need to read the book to understand the concept anyway. That it takes a very small percentage of the population making a change or thinking a certain way or believing in something for the entire population to shift. So this is a good example. Like when slavery was abolished, at least legally, in the U.S., it was only 13% of the people 
who supported it. That's a very small percentage, 13. So 13% supported abolishing slavery. That was enough to tip it. It became illegal. And then suddenly everybody was like, you couldn't tell who was part of the 13% because everybody, not everybody, but a large majority were claiming that they were, of course, we always supported this, of course. You know, their eyes claiming to be on the right side of justice. Mm -hmm. And the same thing's going to happen with animal rights. The exact same thing's going to happen. A very small percentage of us. I don't know, what percentage are we now in North America of ethical vegans? Do you know? I think it's... I think it's 2% or something. I think it's somewhere around there. Yeah, it's very small. You know, and then you got your diet vegans, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But... But it's, it's not going to take much. And then, boom, it's going to tip. And people are going to look back at what we did to other species and be horrified. Just like most of us can look back on what we did to African Americans here and we're horrified. How could we? You know, all these, like, movies. When I see these movies, I think of the animal rights movement, like the movie 12 Years a Slave. You know, there's all these um, Amistad, these movies about the slavery mm-hmm. movement and the anti-slavery movement and those that era. And when I see that and I see, even when I see the activists who have had to work so hard back then, they worked so hard to shift public perception and people thought they were crazy. You know, the abolitionists were, they were ostracized so big they weren't allowed in certain towns. Some of the abolitionists were you know, they they were known. They were like famous abolitionists. Were not allowed into Charleston, and some other cities in the South. So they really put their lives on the line, and they did all that. And that's what people are doing now for other species. And I, mm-hmm. I see it. I see it shifting in a big way. Like I never used to be comfortable. I used to say, "Oh, I work as a voice for all species." I would never say, "Oh, I'm an animal rights activist." Now I always say it. People say, "Oh." You know, what's your work? I say, I'm a full-time animal rights activist. And I've never had someone, like, recoil from that. They're like, oh, that's fantastic. You know, and then they want to know more. Uh Which is incredible, because it's not like I'm hanging out, you know, I'm in airports or whatever when people are asking me this. And it's not like I'm hanging out with, like, the progressive element in society when I say that. And nobody that I've ever said that to has thought that that was awful. They think it's great. I no feel more. Like it's, it's generally pretty accepted. Yeah. yeah. I feel like the way to see how much it's shifting is to, like we're always looking, I don't know about you, but a lot of us, we're always looking forward to how far we have to go mm-hmm. and all the who are suffering and the environment and, wow, we have such a long way to go in terms of social change. But if you turn around and look back at how far we've come, whoa. I mean, just the fact that when I went vegan, I didn't know the word vegan. You know, very few people don't know that word now. You know, it's part of the popular culture. So it's, um, yeah, I see it shifting in a big way. And it's incredible, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear from you. you, you you're someone who has that perspective. of. Yeah, I have being, a historical perspective. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's that's really cool. And I, I like what you said about... Um, looking at how far we've come because I think it can get really um, depressing when we're constantly focusing on like how much we have to achieve and like how much there's still wrong in the world and everything. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. I'm, I'm curious if you ever feel like 
uh, like you're not doing enough or you're not being effective enough? And if so, how, how you deal with that? Oh, every day. <laughs> <laughs> every day I feel it like I've had to really sort of just um, accept that I am just one person. And when I get too caught up in, oh, I'm not doing enough and – or I, I'll go into despair sometimes about it. It's tough. You know, like, oh, I should be doing more because while I'm sitting here comfortably, you know, on my computer or I'm hiking in the mountains or I'm dancing or biking or whatever I'm doing, there are these beings who are suffering horribly. And it's hard to give yourself permission to do those things that, like, keep your life in balance. Mm-hmm. For me, it is. It's really hard. And, and I have to make myself do it. I have to, like, schedule in that self-care time, and I do. Mm. You know, I hike in the mountains a lot. I bicycle. I dance like crazy. Um, you know, I just, I just think it's hard to do because you think, oh, with that hour, I could be doing X, Y, Z. But it's good to say, we're not used to saying this, but what I do is enough. You know, the amount that I do, I have dedicated my entire life to this, you know, and it's been 40 years now. And, you know, when is enough enough? You know, like, I'll always do this. I'll do this to my grave. This will be my work. But I won't be doing it for long if I don't meditate, do yoga, dance, hike in the mountains, bike, you know, whatever. The things that really feed me and and bring me joy and I just think it's really important to have that balance. It's not always easy to give ourselves permission, but it's crucial. You know, it's kind of like the whole airplane thing, you know, put your own mask on before putting someone else's mask on, you know, for oxygen. I I feel like as a movement, you see a lot of, in the animal rights movement, you see a lot of people who don't care for themselves because they are absolutely haunted by what's going on. They are obsessed with doing the work. I have been that person and it didn't, it didn't feel good to me. You know, it didn't. I couldn't show up as a rested, loving, healthy person. And you know, like now, I love it. Like, so I'm in my sixties, and I get to feel like I'm twenty. And that's another important thing in the world. We're like, we might be the only ethical vegan that someone meets. You know, so who is it that you are when you meet that person? You know, are you physically, mentally, and spiritually healthy? Um, are you loving? It's all important. Because yeah, maybe you're it, you know, for a lot of people. Like, you've probably had it. Like, people meet you who you're the first vegan they've ever met. And I'm so glad. I want them all to meet you. But, you know, <laughs> you're a very good poster child. But I just feel like, you know, it's so, it's a, it's a responsibility but it's a responsibility that we gain something from. If we keep ourselves healthy in all ways, we gain from it. The animals gain from it. And then we become this irresistible community that people are just like, yeah, whatever you're doing, I want to do it. And it can take people time. Like it can be discouraging. I know for some people they'll feel like they meet someone and in five minutes I meet you. Oh, in five minutes I want you to understand what took me 60 years of all my experiences to get here. But I want you to understand it in five minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's an impossible thing to set up. It's just like, 
you're setting yourself up there for just disappointment mm. when you do that. So I don't really have that expectation. Oh, when I talk with someone, they're going to show me immediately that they get it. They understand compassionate living. I feel like, oh, I just throw out those seeds and then somebody else will come behind me. They'll water it. They'll fertilize it. Then it'll grow into something. But it's not my job to make sure that, you know, they get it right then. It's it's impossible. It's not good to set ourselves up for those impossible tasks like that. But I feel like that can be what is discouraging for people. Mm. Oh, I talked to this person for 20 minutes. And then they ordered a hamburger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or they go to a sanctuary. They've just rubbed a pig belly. And then they went home and ate bacon. And you hear about it and you go, oh, no. How can someone do that? But it for someone's awareness to open up to other beings, they're on their own path. It's going to take their amount of time. And that was that first step, feeling a pig's belly. Okay. They went home and ate bacon. Disconnect. But then next time and the next time and the next time. Slowly, eventually, yeah, slowly breaking down those barriers. But isn't it hard to see from our perspective? Like, Oh, really? yeah. You could pet a pig's belly and then an hour later eat bacon. Oh yeah, I, I, it's it's impossible to understand and to relate to that. I mean, of course, some people um, aren't like that. They just get it um, immediately. Yeah. But but yeah, yeah. it's like it's different for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't it fun when you see somebody get it immediately? Those are always like juicy little gifts. Like oh yes, oh yes, this yeah. person just got it. Boom. Yeah, it's <laughs> one of our co-organizers of our vegan meetup group here um she's 30 years old beautiful and she came to my house to get something off free cycle do you have free cycle there no Where you, you give no. things away and you get things online i have this to give away or i need this mm. she needed like a waterproof dog bed for an older dog and so i said i have one i had never met her she came to the house to get this waterproof dog bed she saw my bumper sticker on my car. I can't remember which one was on there then. And she said, are you vegan? I said, yes. She said, oh. She said, do you have information on that? I said, well, yeah, it's my work. I have a lot of information. <laughs> I said, I've never had anyone say this. She says, give me everything you got. Ooh. <laughs> like everything. <laughs> really? I said, look, I have DVDs. I have pamphlets. I have a lot of stuff. She said, yeah, give me everything. I gave her a big box of stuff. Because <laughs> <laughs> A lot of stuff. And the next day, she contacts me and she said, okay, so now we have a vegan house. I was like, what? <laughs> she said, I stayed up, I watched DVDs, I read, and it just makes sense. She said, I go volunteer at the animal shelter all the time. I love animals more than anything. This makes sense. And I said, wow. I said, so now you're vegan. She said, yes, 100%. I said, Okay. She said, but I'm going to need a little help. I said, okay, whatever you need. <laughs> and she's, that was like three years ago. She's a powerhouse. Wow. She's unstoppable, completely unstoppable. And now is like co-organizer in our group. And yeah, she's like, I call her a veganizer because just who she is, irresistible. Mm. You know, so it's, yeah, it's, it's just wonderful when you see somebody like sometimes people are just ripe. They're just ready for it. Mm, yeah. You know? And then boom, it, that's all it took was this one interaction and off they go. Mm -hmm. I just love that. Mm. I love that. So much. Yeah. It's so cool. 
Ray, thank you so much. Um, I always, I always feel like I learn so much when I, whenever I talk to you. And I think, oh, uh, you. I, think I think this conversation that we had today will, will definitely um, open people up to a lot of perspectives that maybe they hadn't thought about before and everything. Mm-hmm. So, and people yeah. contact me if they have mm. questions or, you know, sometimes it'll just challenging. I have no idea what to do in this. And people are welcome to contact me. My should I give my email? Yeah, sure. You can give. It, you can tell them what it is, and... or you can look on Facebook. You okay. can message me too. Mm-hmm. That's a real easy way. So it's just Ray Sakura on Facebook. Easy. Perfect. Cool. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. I have one final question for you before we wrap it up. Sure. What is one piece of advice that you would give to someone who is like? new to being an activist and doesn't really know where to start, or maybe someone who's been an activist for a while and feels like they're just not having any kind of tangible impact and just needs, needs some advice. What would you say? You know, sometimes it takes, um, there's so much noise coming at us. Like the issues are endless. The amount of suffering is endless and it's flying at us all the time. And it can make it very hard to focus in on what is my best personal contribution because you want to take care of it all. It's like being surrounded by a bunch of fires. You want to put them all out. Don't even try to put them all out except that you can't do that and find what is your contribution that you can give that won't wear you out because if you're going to be worn out, burned out, then we lose you. You won't be part of our wonderful, compassionate community. Find that one thing that brings you absolute joy to do and do it. And just do it with your whole heart. And if it's, you know, if it means, you know, not being on Facebook because it breaks your heart to see the images, if it means that's fine. You don't, there's nothing you have to do, but do the thing that has longevity, that feeds your soul, and that helps all life. That's a great answer. <laughs> what a sweet to be with you. It's so it's, great. Uh, because, like, it's like you're in my living room. <laughs> so great. Now I want to go make us dinner, but you're not here. Mm. I'll have to come and visit sometime. Come I, visit. I love Santa Fe. Yeah, I know. It's It seems like such a beautiful place. I have to come. I have to make it there sometime. We have a Facebook page <laughs> called Bring It On To Be. Yeah, and I'm we're, in it. Um, I'm in, in it. Oh my God, it's so fun. Like people are coming, you know, they're like, they're moving here. They're going, yeah, because we want to create a bigger demand for vegan businesses and products and whatnot. And to, and not, right now we have 600 people in our vegan meetup group. And, wow, that's a lot. That's know, yeah, huge. it's good. Wow. Yeah, we do a lot of stuff. And there's another group called Plant Powered Santa Fe. They focus more on the food stuff. And that's for people who don't want to be at a circus protest or a rodeo protest mm-hmm. or whatever. And they just want to think about the food and it's okay. So they go to plant powered Santa Fe and we're all very much connected with each other. And yeah, it's great. It's a great community. Oh, I got to make it there. <laughs> we won't let you leave. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it doesn't sound like I'll want to leave. So that's, that's, a, that's all right. <laughs> so great to be with you. Thank it's, you so uh, much. It's an honor and a privilege to be able to call you friends. So. 
All right, guys. Thank you for listening all the way through. Isn't Ray awesome? That was just like one of the best. Uh, I feel like that was definitely one of the best conversations I've I've had yet. I've had so far um, for this podcast. So I was really stoked. You know, when I when I got off um, got off of Skype with her, I was just like, wow, that was such a good conversation, um, and just learned so much. So I hope you did too, and I hope you found it valuable. So. Um, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Um, you can look forward to another really awesome episode next week coming to you next Monday. And in the meantime, you can keep, keep up to date with me on, uh, social media. I'm on Facebook and, uh, Instagram and YouTube, Plant Parrot Activist on all the, uh, social media platforms. And if you want to shoot me an email to, let me know what you think of the podcast. That would be awesome. If you want to leave me a review on iTunes, that would be awesome as well. And that's about it. So thanks for listening, and I will see you next week.